My name is Trinity Register, I'm 15, and I go to Heart of Life. Um, so earlier in June, I went to Fuge Camp in Mobile, Alabama. But before that, I always thought I was like a true like Jesus follower, a real Christian. But then I went to camp this year, and camp's theme was like two paths, choose one. So it was talking all week about how to follow the right path. And I realized that I was not on the path that I really wanted to be on. I was on a pretty decent path, but it wasn't the right one. After camp, I realized that I want to be on the right path. Like I want to follow Jesus. I want to do like all good things for Jesus. I just want people to be as moved about Jesus like I was at camp. So I decided that I need to take a bigger step in my life. I need to be baptized. Lately I've been like having dreams about going on mission to like Taiwan or Africa or like anywhere and I think that's God telling me that that's something that could be in my future for me. I have been like praying about it and asking him to like give me the right answers, show me what I'm supposed to be doing and hopefully one of those things will be, I'll have an opportunity to do one of those things in my future. That's Jesus' life. And what a beautiful story. A young lady who God opens her heart, turns the light on to the truth of his love, that Jesus is the way. Now she's following him. She follows in baptism, and she's just listening for where God calls her now. You know, we have spent, um, like was described by Paul last week, we, we, there has been a lot of hard work go into our student ministry over the last year. With the vault and all that stuff going on, just so much time and energy and resources put that direction. And these are the reminders for me, the celebration moments of how all that is so worth it. Well, I'm excited to be at a point now where we really believe that we, we are kind of turning some of that attention to where the energy, the resources, the planning is now headed toward our kids' ministry for a while. Um, don't get me wrong, we're not taking a nap on students. It's just we, we've put a lot of energy into that. Those things are beginning to roll, and now it's, now it's time to do the same for our kids' ministry. Um, I am excited today to be able to introduce a, a few folks who are stepping into some of those leadership roles. And the first is to be able to share with you um, our new children's director for Heart of Life. Um, her name is Sharon Dahl. I think we got a picture. There she is. Yes, Dahl. We don't have to change the last name on anything. <laughs> he bless. Is, is, are they related? Um, Yes, only in that they both married into the same clan, all right? So um, Sharon and, and her husband, Nathan, and uh, their two children have been with, with Heart of Life for some time. She comes um, out of a, an education background, um, has taught. She has um, music skill. And I, I'm excited about what all that means toward the arts of being brought into our kids' ministry. Um, I, I just, I'm excited about where this is uh, going to take us for some years to come. Um, she couldn't be here today, can't be next week, just some prior commitments, but really in August will be full force, move ahead. Um, we are excited about Sharon and Nathan and her family and just as God um, has led them and us together into that next step. But I'm also si excited to introduce to you today some folks who are taking steps at, at a campus level because we, we've also really determined this is a great time to be able to see some people, be able to, to, to lead at the local campus level. In Lee Summit today, um, I'll be introducing Ms. Kristen Baker who's gonna do that for Lee Summit campus. Um, but here, um, I want to introduce Jury and Adam Wells right here. Would you guys stand? 
Cool. I, I said to her, wherever you're at, make sure they can see you. And she said, oh, they'll see me. <laughs> I totally made that conversation up. That really didn't happen. But I did it because if I had hair, it would be that color. I promise it would. I, I've been done without it long enough. You guys can be seated for a second. Their role is to become um, children's uh, assistants, if you will, here at the Garden City campus where they will be handling um, things during the week on the ground here at this campus. Um, on Sundays, they are the go-to people. They're the folks who would have caught today that there weren't any children's church things on the chairs. And somebody could have said, hey, where are those? And they would know. They would know where those are. So, so they're the people that, whether it's nursery or preschool or kindergarten or elementary, when anything related to kids' ministry, they become the people who serve the people who are serving. A go-to place, a place of encouragement, a place of help. Um, we believe that by doing that at each campus, it's really going to strengthen just the overall ministry, and we are just thrilled at where um, we believe God's going to take all that here in the near future. Our immediate attention is geared toward right now Bible study in particular that kicks up what I say the fall, but really as school kicks back in, all right? And so I, I shared that with you several months ago about just a vision of seeing teams of people engaging in the lives of, of every grade, for example, of, of kids, of not just people in a classroom who teach a Bible story, but teams of people who together really invest in those kids and teach them what the love of Jesus looks like. Now, as the questions have come, I've, I think the best way that I would describe this is, wouldn't it be cool if like every Sunday, a VBS type of creativity and excitement could happen in children's ministry. How many of y'all done VBS? VBS is cool, isn't it? It's like they build stuff. You know what I'm talking about? There's all kind of cool stuff that gets built and props. And you just kind of immerse in that whole thing. And there's, there's games and there's crafts. And, and the, the Bible story just, you know, it just helps to nail all that down. Um, I'm saying what if there could be that kind of creativity and that kind of excitement on, on an every Sunday morning where a kid comes here and just knows these people love me. And I'm not sure what all this means yet, but it sure is fun to be connected to what it means to follow Jesus, and I want to hear more. Well, that's what I'm talking about. And, and we can do that better as teams. We, we really can. And, and so... I'm saying whether some of you would, would be a part of that team to teach a lesson and some of you would be a part of that team for, for, for the, you know, the fun part of whether it's a game or a craft. Some of you should be on those teams because of your construction ability. And you could help us do some things in the classroom that just add creativity and focus. And we, you know, I'm saying some of you have that kind of skill. You put it together and man, we could bless kids like we never have been able to do before. Due to the circumstances of this season and just wanting to move toward that, not knowing, you know, that we would be, you know, seeing the, the turnover in regards to a children's director and all that, we really believe that the best thing for us to do in this season is to put all of our attention toward getting ready for the next two months. In other words, I'm saying, I know it's about VBS time, but instead of spending all that time and energy on three days of VBS, what if all the people who know how good that can be would give time and energy and passion that instead of something for just three days, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying in light of our season, our timing, where we're at, what if we put that attention toward what we want to do in the fall and let's make it the best that we possibly can? I think it's going to be a blessing for years to come. This isn't something short-term, but years to come. 
there was um, an announcement made earlier about a women's Bible study. Did you guys hear that? You weren't sleeping, were you? When does it happen? Sunday evenings, where does it happen? Connie's house, there you go, it's in there. I think the address is in the info. Oh, no, not John's house, Connie's house. All right, it's clear. That was clear to me. I don't know, they said make sure it's not John's house, it's Connie's house, all right? So, but get this, those, those ladies are doing that on Sunday night, and I so appreciate Connie in, in that regard that they're going to Bible study on Sunday night so that as many of them as want to and can, can invest in being a part of these teams on Sunday morning. I'm saying that's unselfish. And that's the kind of stuff that it's going to require for us to really turn some pages here and be able to take some next steps. Um, some of you might say, I don't like kids. I don't always know how to respond to that. I've started responding this way. Jesus likes kids. You just interpret, all right? Jesus likes kids. I get it, though. Sometimes people, it's like, I don't really work well with kids. Well, then that means your love should be directed toward adults, all right? And we're going to need you because a part of what we want to see is people like Trinity take next steps, We want to see somebody who gives their life to Jesus and follows in baptism. We want them to continue to take some next steps to grow up in what it means to follow him. So we need some of you to teach folks like her that here's here's how you pray. And here's how you study your Bible. And here's the, the value of relationships. And here's what generosity will mean for the rest of your life. And here are some basic truths that, that we need to believe because this is what the Bible says. We need to pour that into new believers. We need to do some serious discipleship. And some of you are really equipped because you've been given it. And now it's time for you to give it away to somebody else. And so I'm saying there's going to be a place for everybody. And in the weeks to come, we will lay more of that out. We will talk about that more and more. The big picture is it kind of feels like God's bringing us to this really cool season where we all get to say, put me in, coach. Put me in. And I'm not just going to sit and watch everybody else do what's supposed to happen. But I'm going to step onto the field in whatever role I can play. If it's teaching a class, cool. If it's doing something construction-wise in a classroom, cool. Whatever it is, I'm stepping onto the field. Put me in, coach. I want to show you a little of that heart today as we continue our story in Acts. And in particular, we have zeroed in on Paul at this point. And I want, you to, I want you to see something about um, his last journey, I suppose I would describe it. We know from last week that Paul knows he's supposed to head toward Jerusalem. He told the Ephesian church um, that he was leaving and there were great tears. And so let's just start with Jerusalem, all right? Jerusalem is where he knows He is, this is God-directed destination. He knows it. Along his journey to Jerusalem, we are told, he's reminded again that with this is going to be hardship. He's told that that the Jews are are going to, they're going to seize him and they're going to turn him over to the Gentile authorities. He knows it, and yet he still walks right into Jerusalem. Why would he do that? Because God told him, this is where you are to be. Well, just as it was prophesied, about a week into his stay in Jerusalem, a group of, of, of people falsely accuse Paul, and it stirs up the whole city. And when I say stirs up the whole city, you read the story. It says that people are just running from everywhere to join this mob. They drag Paul out of the temple, and they are beating him. And it's clear that their intention is to kill him. It is at this point that we meet a man by the name of Lysias. Lysias, he is a commander of the Roman troops. So he's a Roman soldier, if you will. He commands the troops there in Jerusalem. 
He gets word that the city is in an uproar. He takes the soldiers with him to the source of the issue. He stops the beating, but he can't get to the truth of what's going on. And so he has Paul arrested, and he has Paul put in chains, which at this point for Paul is a rescue, right? Because they're about to beat him to death. But just before they usher Paul away, Paul turns to Lysias and asks for permission to speak. And they grant it. Go figure. Anybody want to guess what Paul talks about? Just a guess. Jesus. Now, is that crazy? He talks about his own story and how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that whole deal where, where Jesus knocked him off his horse, remembering he was blind, and, and the whole deal. And he's like, this is how I met Jesus. And then Jesus told me that I was sent to the Gentiles to take the good news about Jesus. And you know what? That's what I've been doing. And many, many Gentiles, that's people who are not Jews, they have been putting their trust in Jesus. Well, that made the crowd feel good. Actually, it caused them to explode. And Lysias orders Paul to the barracks to be beaten. And just as they are stretching Paul out to receive what has been commanded, Paul plays the ace. And his question is simply, can you really do this to a Roman citizen who has not been found guilty? They didn't know he was a Roman citizen. And apparently he kept it close to his heart until it was time to play the card. And they said, you're a Roman citizen. He said, yeah, they knew this was serious. I mean, Roman citizens had rights. You, you did not treat them in this way. And so Lysias sort of releases Paul, but he wants to still get to the heart of the issue because the city is his responsibility, and Paul keeps sending it into an uproar. And so he calls for a meeting with the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish ruling council. These are, these are the big guys who, who really make decisions in regards to the, 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 the nation. And so there's a meeting with the Sanhedrin, and Paul starts to speak. Anybody want to guess what Paul talks about? Jesus. And in particular, the resurrection. Well, in the Sanhedrin, you've got Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees believe in a resurrection. Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. And so a fight starts out. Fight breaks out. And it says that it was so violent that Lysias feared for Paul's life, and so he returned him to the barracks. Now let's pick it up. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. We're going we're gonna to cover just pieces of different chapters here, but here's what it says in Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Hmm. First, God had said, You go to Jerusalem. Now Jesus is standing beside him and he says, Now you're going to go to Rome. All right. And you've got to know there's some part of Paul's heart that leaps at this moment because in that day, Rome was the ends of the earth. They didn't know about North America, South America. They didn't know how far Africa went to the south. In their thinking, Rome was the ends of the earth. Well, where have you ever heard ends of the earth? Jesus, right? A little mission that he pushed our way, right? You'll receive... You're right. you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Paul's ears and his heart perk up because that's what he's always wanted to do. Well, before they can send him off, the story is 40 men in Jerusalem made an oath. And here was the oath. We will not eat until Paul is killed. Now, that's a pretty serious oath. 
eating is kind of important to living, right? And so if you're going to make an oath, I'm not going to eat until Paul dies. You are pretty serious about taking Paul out. Well, as it, uh, let me just frame it this way. Is it not crazy what religion without Jesus will do to you? I'll say it again. It is crazy what religion without Jesus at the center will do to you. These are religious people who are so serious about the law, like don't murder, that they are willing to murder a man who is not keeping the law. That's what religion does to you when Jesus is not at the center. It will make you look foolish. They find out about the plot and 470 military personnel (laughs) under the cover of darkness transfer Paul from Jerusalem to a place called Caesarea. Caesarea. And it is at Caesarea that Paul is under the authority of a man named Felix, who is the governor. Now, what happens next is the leaders from Jerusalem come to Caesarea. They present their case against Paul. But the Bible says that Felix delays his decision. He hears what Paul is saying. He delays his... Which, by the way, anybody want to guess what Paul talked about? Yeah. But then check out this interesting fact. After all that hearing, all right, after the big event, it says in Acts 24, verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul. Now, he's already heard him once. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about what? Faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Okay, we've gone far enough that I can ask you the question officially now. Anybody see a pattern with Paul? If the man is given opportunity to speak, who does he speak about? Jesus. He's on trial. He speaks about Jesus. They're about to kill him. He speaks about Jesus. People trying to beat him today. He speaks about Jesus. Every time he's given opportunity to speak, he speaks about Jesus. So Felix, the governor, he speaks about Jesus. We're told that after two years, Felix is replaced by Festus. You got to love these names. That'll work for boys, right? Twin boys, if you have Felix and Festus, that'll work, right? He's now the governor. And again, the Jews bring their case, and they, they, want, they want Festus now to hear the whole case against Paul, which would lead most of us to go, God, what are you doing? How many times do I have to go through this trial? Or you could be Paul, who just goes, a new governor. I think I'll tell him about Jesus. And that's what he does. That's what he does. As um, Paul shares, the Jewish leaders want Festus to return Paul to Jerusalem so that he can stand trial in Jerusalem. That's like home court advantage for them. And Paul, at this point, plays another ace. And he says, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. Well, in order for Paul to stand trial before Caesar means Paul's got to stand where? Rome. Why does he want to go to Rome? Because Jesus said, take this good news to Rome. It's like, but he's actually, he's putting himself before, 
I mean, this would be like going, let's just settle this at the Supreme Court. And I mean, if they, if they don't settle it, then you, know, you understand you're done. He's like, yeah, I, I appeal to Caesar. We're going to Rome. Before they can go to Rome, though, another individual arrives. His name is Agrippa. He is a king. And uh, Agrippa just came to visit Festus, and Festus starts telling him about Paul's story, and Agrippa's like, well, I think I want to hear it. And so as you read the text, Agrippa, his wife, it says high-ranking military officials and prominent men from the community, the city, they all gather to hear Paul. And guess what Paul tells Agrippa and his wife and the military officials and the prominent men of the city? He talks to them about faith in Jesus. His life is on the line, people. These are moments when he really could take the option to save his skin. But he only sees it as an opportunity to share Jesus with another set of people. Look at what it says in Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 28. It says, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? And look at Paul's reply. Short time? Or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, as in a Jesus follower, except for these chains. He said, whether it's short, whether it takes a long time, my prayer is that you know what's most important. That's Jesus. It says in verse 30, the king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But Paul's goal wasn't to be free. His mission was to get to Rome. To get to Rome meant that Paul had to board a ship, a ship, and oh my, what a ride. Now we're told that he is put under the, the guard, the control of a guy named Julius, who was a centurion, a centurion of the imperial regiment. His goal was to guard Paul, it was to make sure he got to Rome to be able to stand before Caesar. But before they even, before they even left, Paul warns them. And this is his warning. If we set sail now, this is going to be disaster. This is not going to end well. But they decide it's time to sail. Sure enough, a storm engulfs them. There were hurricane force winds, we're told, kind of like what some of y'all had last night, right? A hurricane force winds that they are throwing cargo overboard just trying to keep the ship afloat. We're even told this is one of those moments they passed cables underneath the boat and tied the cables together because they're trying to hold the whole of the ship together. It's called frapping, not the Starbucks kind, the nautical kind. It's called frapping. And you, you put the cable around it, you cinch it up, and you are literally trying to hold the boat together. After a long time, Paul addresses them again, everybody on the boat. This is how he starts. Told you. No, he really does. He's like, I told you. And then he says this in chapter 27, verse 23. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, I actually love that. Here's what Paul says. We're going to be okay, but we got to crash. Isn't that, that's like life, right? Like, we're going to be okay, but we are going to crash, just so you know. We're going to crash on some island. Guess what? They crash on some island. That's what they do. And they actually crash on an island called Malta. 
Paul gets bitten by a viper. And it says they're all standing there watching, waiting for him to die. And he doesn't even swell. It's like he doesn't even swell up where, where he got bit. And it just sort of painted, it sort of provided the platform. He met then a man named Publius. You got to love that. Festus, Felix, Julius, and Publius. Somebody should write a song. That's good, right? He is a chief official of Malta. His father was healed. And then it says that the rest of the sick on the island all came and were healed. Now, this is just a side note. But you know those times that you think God's really telling you, here's what I want you to do, and here's where you're going to go, and here, here's what you're going to accomplish? And you know those moments when you feel like the boat ran aground on some island that you don't know what it is, and you're like, what is this? You said we were going to Rome. God, you, I feel like you talked to me, and you said this is what was going to happen. God, you said this. I feel like this is where you were going to take our family. We're, we're like stranded on the island. Isn't it wild what God does in those moments that we whine about because we're not yet at our destination when often along the way God wants to bless a whole bunch of other folks? I think about the island of, of Malta. They didn't do anything, right? They didn't send out a plea for Paul to show up. But on the way, the crash happens and an entire island sees all their sick people well. Just something to remember along the way when you feel like God might be a little slow in the process. After three months, they sail again. And we're nearing the end, chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 14 says, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there Let's read that again. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When Paul arrives at Rome, believers meet him. It's like, wait a minute. I thought he was going to Rome to share the good news of Jesus. Well, guess what? There were already believers there. How'd they get there? Well, it could be that some of them had been in Jerusalem when some of the stuff we've been reading about through Acts has been taking place. And so they heard about Jesus and then they take it back to where they live. It, it could have been that some of that traveled on the wings of business, which we, we see that at times throughout Acts. What I love about the fact is Paul doesn't get there and go, there's already believers here. Why did I have to go through all this? Which is what some of us would say. It's like, what am I doing here? Why did I have to go through all this stuff if there's already believers here? He doesn't do any of that. He just rejoices at the fact that he has arrived where Jesus told him to be, and he knows, he knows that he's going to be such a part of what happens on the field in Rome to see these believers grown up and multiply. Verse 23, it wasn't just the believers. Verse 23 they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them, shocker, from morning till evening, they like that, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. I love that little phrase, some were convinced. Can we, get, can we get really honest here for a second and admit that probably for most all of us in the room, there are a couple of y'all that are holier than the rest of us, but for most of us in the room, we come to moments where we think that there are people who just don't want to hear the good news we've got to tell. We do. That there are moments we get to this place where maybe it's a person that's in your path, 
right? It's somebody you've encountered, some relationship, some connection, and, and your thinking is they just don't want to hear what I got to say. And why do you think that? You think it because you look at their life and you look at what they value, and that is so much opposite of what you know it means to follow Jesus. I mean, they're just sinners out there sinning. Some were convinced. Can I remind you today that that little fear that you have in the back of your head that if you share about Jesus, people will think you're crazy? Can I tell you I have discovered that group of people is really, really small. I'm not telling you it won't ever happen. I'm not telling you there are moments that you're not going to speak about Jesus and they're going to call you crazy. It happened to Paul. If you read back through these chapters, there, there was a moment, I think it was, it was Festus, who's like, Paul, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. There are moments it happens. But in the whole scope of thing, that group of people is absolutely so small. And if that bothers you, I'm not sure you've really been engulfed by the grace of God. Because when you've tasted such grace for a person along the way to call you crazy, oh well. Listen, even when it seems like people don't want to know, God calls out of the darkness into the light. You hear me? You think they don't want to hear. You think they're so far, so far gone. God calls from the darkness into the light. It's like, I know, Jeff, but some of that's just so uncomfortable. I don't know, even know how to start some of those conversations. Can I tell you, one of the weirdest things about people who claim not to believe in Jesus is that they will let you pray for them. They are hypocrites. That's the way I describe it. It's like, because they're like, no, 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 I don't want to hear. But as soon as you say, well, can I pray for something? You're like, yes. Yes, you can pray for me. Use it. I'm saying it's a cool way to start conversation. The other day I'm in Price Chopper. I'm in Price Chopper. And I'm, I'm waiting for something to be prepared. And suddenly the two ladies who are working on that deal start having a conversation. I felt like I should like step back because they were like having a conversation. It had nothing to do with me. They're working. They were working on what I was waiting on. And in the conversation, one of the ladies starts to talk about this girl named Kayla. And she's talking about how Kayla um, yesterday had, had stepped back into this, this particular part of the store and helped her because some of them had to leave. And Kayla did this, and Kayla was helping with the... And I'm listening for a minute, and at just the right moment, I said, I really like that girl, Kayla. I really like her. And they looked at me, and I said, no, I really do. I'm like... She's awesome. I, I, I like that girl, Kayla. And I waited for a second, and then I said, she's my daughter. To which one of them said, she's really your daughter? And you're a minister. <laughs> mm. And this is what she said, will you pray for me? I said, you want something specific or you just want the whole package? <laughs> she goes, I'll take it all. I said, all right. And before I left, she grabbed my hand again, a second time, both hands. She said, I, I really would appreciate, I really do appreciate you praying for me. I said, I, I, won't, I won't stop. I'm going back to Price Shopper even if I don't need anything. Seriously, I'm going back. And we're, we're going to continue a conversation about whatever's going on in her life. I'm saying to you today, if you are watching, there are many opportunities to share. Many. And people will let you pray for them even if you aren't the preacher. They just will. It's the craziest thing. Paul sees all these opportunities He's on trial for his life. No, he sees it as an opportunity to share Jesus with governors and kings. 
We go, he's on trial, man. This is like the, the worst day of his life. This is like, what's going to happen if it doesn't go his way? He's like, I don't know, but I got a chance to share Jesus with some governors and some kings. He's in prison. And we're going, how uncomfortable is that? I've described some of that process to you before, what it's like to be in a, a Roman prison. And he's like, no, nah, that's all right, because I get to share with guards and inmates. And I get to tell them about Jesus. I'm telling you, if you're watching you can share Jesus wherever you are, price chopper, the gym, the pool, where you work, whatever you're in. There are moments to share Jesus everywhere we can. We want to be a people that grab hold of opportunities to make much of Jesus because he's calling us to play every day. Every day. It says in verse 30, for two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He's under house arrest, but God has arranged it so that people can just come to him. And the more people that meet Jesus, the more people they invite. And every time they come, they sit down and he tells them about Jesus. And for two whole years, it's like, man, I wish I could be free. <laughs> He's like, no, just keep them coming. They got to come to me. I don't even have to go find them. History tells us that somewhere between A.D. 62 and 67, a trial before Caesar happens. And they drag Paul to the outskirts of town, and they behead him. And nobody's going, oh, what a tragedy. Because, oh my goodness, what a life of victory. This is the guy who said back in chapter 20, I count my life nothing. I want to finish the course and testify to the gospel of God's grace. I'm saying to you, church, this is our run. This is our time to play. Quick story as we close. One of the, I think, most unique um, facets to what we did with the vault, okay, which is the building in Harrisonville that we renovated. It was a bank building, thus the name the vault, and it's a student building for us for reaching. One of the unique aspects of the vault is um, there are two islands there that we built out of um, file cabinets. So we tried to keep some of the whole bank feel, and there were a bunch of file cabinets. And it was like, hey, let's just make some islands out of file cabinets. So that required somebody to weld a frame to be able to lock about five of those file cabinets together, and then they put a top on them, and there's two of those. It's just really cool. It's really cool. It's pretty creative how to use something that's already there. It looks really good. It fits with the room. Um, I, I love the file cabinet islands. Well, in addition to that, we decided to let's put a metal like metal shelving above the, the cabinets, and let's kind of hold the theme together. Well, the guy who did the welding messed it up. First time he brought, like, the whole file cabinet frame thing, totally messed up. File cabinets were in wrong places. It just it didn't fit. And, and then the thing over the cabinets, totally messed up. Like, none of the measurements were right. It was like a foot either too long or, or short. I can't even remember which way it was. It was like not even close. It was like just totally messed up. The whole welding process was just completely messed up. And I'm saying to you it was frustrating because, like, we had already been in this for several months, and you're getting down to where it's timing, and you got to get certain things in place to get the next thing in place. Some of you have done houses and stuff, and you know how that gets. And you, after you're so long into it, you just kind of get weary, and it gets frustrating. And I'm telling you, in that process, I felt like God say to me, Jeff, just chill out. And he did use the word chill. Just chill out. The dude messed up. But how much of your life and the message that you proclaim every single week is based on second chances after people mess up. All right, I heard him. I chilled. 
I chilled. We went back, got all that fixed. It looks great now. Looks great. But you know what? I never connected the dots for that dude. It's like, I, I heard it. He messed up. Chill out. But I, I never took, I didn't take that opportunity to translate what I heard and what I had experienced into a moment in life that could have been kind of a cool moment to talk about how Jesus does that with us. Now, sometimes I think that you should take your time in relationships to get to the point to share the good news of Jesus with people. I think that's okay. Like neighbors that you have, I'm convinced that you probably shouldn't show up in their yard and within three minutes be laying out, you know, the whole gospel, all right? Most times, you're going to invite them to dinner, right? You're going to do some things of just connecting. You're going to build some trust that gives you the opportunity. You're going to speak about Jesus as you go, and you're going to pray for them, but there's going to come a point where you build some trust to be able to share the gospel with them. But then I'm also convinced that sometimes we are just like given a moment where it's a, it's a business deal, it's a whatever. You encounter someone, and you know that's not going to be ongoing, and sometimes you get opportunities. I, I, looking back, I felt like that was, this was like a lob. You ever play slow-pitch softball? You should never miss a pitch on slow pitch softball, right? It's like a lob. That's, that's what it felt like for me. I could have, I should have told him about God's grace. I should have. I should have pulled him aside and went, you know what? Just something I, I want to share with you. I should have. That dude was killed last week in a motorcycle accident. Last week as I'm prepping for this message. I do not know if he's a believer because I never asked him. Now, I do believe that God goes farther than any of us can imagine. I believe that when every person stands before God, nobody's going to say, hey, God, why didn't you tell me? I don't believe anybody's going to have that excuse. I believe every person that stands before, before God is going to see all the moments lined up that God communicated the truth that he was real and that he loved and a, a chance to try. I believe that every person who stands before him is going to be, a, they're going to see more grace throughout their lifetime. Maybe they didn't pay attention to it all. Maybe they rejected it all, but they're going to see it. In other words, I truly believe if I don't share, um, God is going to find a way to get the info to that guy. But the point is, on that day, I had the chance to play. And I had the chance to step on the field and share about a love with a guy that I have experienced. I had the chance to step on the field and talk about God's grace that I have experienced in my life. Now, I'm telling you that story because sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. And you're probably like me. There may be moments that you see it and there are moments that you don't. If you think you've got to be perfect to share the gospel, you're wrong. You're thinking sometimes, is, who am I to share good news with Jesus? I'm, I'm a hypocrite. In which I would go, yep, you are. So let's just stop. Let's just stop right there and go, we all are at certain points. But we know when we sin, we confess. When we, when we repent, we turn to Jesus. We, we keep on sharing. I hope that you have figured it out by now. It is not your coolness that saves people. It's not your togetherness that saves people. And so come on. In every way we can, let's grab hold of opportunities to make much of Jesus because today Jesus inviting you to play. If you're here today and you have never heard this good news, I pray that you hear it is good news. What God has done in Jesus for you is good news for you. Our main message is not that you're going to hell. Is hell real? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Do you believe everything the Bible teaches about hell? Yes, I do. But our main message is Jesus is the way out. He's good news. That's our message. You don't have to go there. He is the way. 
Our main message is not that you should be ashamed of yourself. You already know that. Our main message is Jesus is the way out of shame. It's good news. Our our main message is not about a drive-by guilting for you. You already know that you're guilty. Our message is Jesus is the way that all guilt is erased. It is good news. You've been called to play. Step on the field. Because today is what we got. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a little bit about the truths that we have just unpacked. If you are here today and you need prayer, we're going to be right over here to the side. We would be honored to pray with you about people, perhaps in your life, who need to know Jesus. Maybe you are ready to put your trust in him. Maybe you have a question today. Maybe you're wrestling with some direction today. We would be honored to pray with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for a really quick journey this morning through um, what took years and years of Paul's life to, to walk out with faithfulness. And God, time and time again, he finds himself on trial. Time and time again, he finds himself in prison. He finds himself beaten. He, all those scenarios, and yet, God, his heart is so clear. He sees every one of those as opportunity to share. God, truth for us is, most, most of us, um, it's not about a fear of being beaten because we're following you this week. It, it's not about imprisonment this week. But the truth is, we have also been given opportunity after opportunity. God, I'm asking for us as a church, you give us eyes that can see Give us a faith that believes, Jesus, you really are this good. You really have transformed our lives, and now we get to play and share it with others. This week, would you give us boldness? Father, I pray for those who need to trust you today. Give them eyes that can see your love. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.